so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. All right, Brent, mute yourself and I'll just do the intro. Let's do it. All right, here we go. Let's do this thing. I'm so pumped. Let's go. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I've got a five mile run waiting for me after this. All right, let's do this. As 2020 comes to a close, we're thankful for the role we've been able to play in your lives. We're thankful that we get to assist churches by helping them apply the gospel to moral and ethical questions of the Christian life and by speaking from our churches as a witness to the public square. This podcast is one of the many ways we do this. If you've benefited from the content shared on this podcast, would you please consider making a year-end donation? We're supported by the Cooperative Program of the Southern Baptist Convention, but any individual donations we receive, apart from that, goes to placing ultrasound machines in pro-life pregnancy centers and advocating for religious liberty and human dignity here at home and across the globe. Please consider making a year-end donation at erlc.com backslash donate. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC Podcast, where every week we're talking about our work here at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians need to know about the things going on in the world. I'm Josh Wester, and with me on the podcast today, as always, are my co-hosts, Lindsay Nicolay. Happy Thanksgiving week, everybody, otherwise known as Christmas Decorating Week. How about it? And Brent Leatherwood is with us. Merry Thanksgiving to everyone. So this is exciting. It's a it's a Thanksgiving episode. We're recording it earlier in the week, so if there are things that happen this week and you're like, how could you guys not talk about that? It's because it's Thanksgiving and we're spending time with our families. Uh, and we hope that you get the chance to to do the same thing. I'm sure we'll talk about a lot of the modified Thanksgivings people are experiencing uh, due to COVID and quarantine and all kinds of things. We also are going to be joined later in the show by a special guest, uh, Amy Ford, who is the founder of Embrace Grace and has an incredible story. And we're really looking forward to that conversation. Uh, but Lindsay, now go ahead, take us into it. Well, on ERLC.com, we have of course, a host of content. We've got some policy-related things, some explainers, but what I wanted to highlight for this special Thanksgiving episode were a couple pieces that just focus on Advent, focusing our heart on the Lord, that focus on how to serve other people, and focus on prayer. So the first one is by Stephen Gresevich. We have had him write several articles because he is an expert when it comes to mental health. And his uh, article is titled, Five Ways Churches Can Support Members' Mental Health During the Holidays. Because as we know, Holidays are often hard for people, but even much more so when we're in the midst of a pandemic and there are restrictions and people have already been isolated. They are 
they are just feeling stretched and uh, frustrated. And so Stephen offers just important counsel to churches and gives practical tips so that we as believers, we as churches can be there for our members and and uh, for our brothers and sisters and, and consider their needs in the midst of a, a busy holiday season. So just an example, a few things he says is to prepare to offer mental health support, especially during the two weeks after Christmas, because that is when um, reports of mental health struggles really go off the charts. He talks about seeking to maintain as many of our church's Christmas traditions as possible, and but then making a way for people who are staying home to do that online and feel like they're a part. Uh, and then and then he mentions an important group, young adults and college students who are really struggling. And uh, he counsels us to consider their unique emotional needs. And this is what he says. He says, there's never been a more important time for us as the church to share the hope of Christ with a fearful and uncertain world. And we're most effective in doing so when we care for and support one another. And so they're just small steps reaching out to people. But this truly is a time when we need to be Uh, putting others' interests above our own. We need the Lord's help to do that and reaching out to care for and support one another. That's really good, Lindsay. And I love that uh, in all these different fields or areas we're dealing with, you're able to reach out to these experts to to give their kind of you know professional uh, advice to us as we're trying to navigate all these different kinds of situations. And certainly, uh, the thing that you said that resonated with me the most at, at the end there was just that this is a time for us uh, to approach this situation and maybe this difficult season uh, as Christians to think about what we as the people of God are uniquely shaped by the gospel in terms of our imitating Christ in the way that we see and treat other people. And so I, I think that that's, that's really helpful. It's something that Christians should be thinking about a lot right now. And in a, in a season where mental health has been at the top of concerns for pastors and, and church leaders and just Christians who are, are trying to be good neighbors, uh, this is a, a really helpful resource because I imagine that as a lot of people are contemplating being isolated, not just for Thanksgiving, but maybe just for the entire kind of holiday season, it's going to be a challenge. And so we need these sorts of resources. Who's tooting their horn in the background? <laughs> my my train engineer son is uh, doing his best uh, train funny. impersonation right now. Yeah. I love that commitment though, you know? I, love uh-huh. it. I mean, God created him to be a train engineer. Now I'm going to try and and use that and and hopefully uh, help him become someday like the head of CSX, uh, but he may just be content driving a train his entire yeah. life. So <laughs> I love it. Yes, sorry about that. Uh, okay, we've had requests for articles dealing with particular struggles and particular people groups who are struggling in the midst of this pandemic, including mental health struggles, and then including uh, elderly people and their struggles. And so just as a assurance to listeners, we are working on that. It's a constantly changing situation. There are no easy answers. And so I think people and experts are just trying to figure out how to best respond to these things. And so uh, we are working on getting more of these topics covered and just finding the right people uh, to talk about them. So our next article focuses on Advent, and I'm really excited. I didn't grow up celebrating Advent from what I remember, I just remember those the chocolate calendar, you know, when you opened it up and you ate the chocolates, and that was exciting. 
but I didn't really understand that it was about anticipating Jesus's coming and then his second return. So Jared Kennedy has an article for us titled, Why Advent is a Time to Build on Family Traditions, Recommended Resources for Preschoolers to Adults. And this article is great because truly there are so many resources when you scroll down to the bottom for groups of people, for preschoolers, for school-age children, and then for teens and adults. So if you're not sure what to do this Advent season, if you've never celebrated Advent, you don't even know where to start, check out Jared's article because he will explain to you what it is. He will explain to you, you know, you don't have to um, do something special during Advent. It's not a requirement in order to be a Christian, (laughs) but it is so helpful uh, to quiet our hearts in the midst of the busyness of the Christmas season and to settle them on, to use a cliche, truly, the reason for the season, that we are eagerly awaiting the celebration of the first coming of our Savior, and we are eagerly awaiting and anticipating His second return uh, when He comes and He makes all things new. Mm, I I love messages like that, Lindsay, during the Christmas season. One of the resources that I really appreciated Jared highlighting in this piece was our old friend Dan Darling's book, uh, The Characters of Christmas, because I I feel like that that kind of book um, and that kind of resource really brings to life uh, this season for Christians, and it helps just get uh, our hearts kind of postured in the right way as, um, as the Christmas tide begins. It is funny that you mentioned that, because that's the book that I'm planning to go through, Hopefully, I will have the discipline to actually completely go through it because um, lots of times I have good intentions. But also, just to clarify for our listeners, Brent called Dan our old friend, and he's not old. You know, he's our longtime friend, but he's definitely not old. Well, he's over 40, and so he's got a lot of wisdom. I think I think that's something he's pretty proud of, I think actually. listeners over 40 are going to be mad at you, Brent. For calling them old. <laughs> no, I'm, I called him wise, not old. He calls himself. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> you're digging. You're digging yourself in deeper and deeper, Brett. Okay. Well, let's get back on track here and talk about our last article, which is an article that focuses on prayer, and it's written by our colleague Brooke Kramer. She talks about six ways that we can pray for our country during the pandemic, and I thought that was especially important during a season of Thanksgiving. Um, you know. We have so much to be thankful for, and even in the midst of a hard season, we have a lot that is on our hearts that we um, need to come before the Lord and pray about. And so she just gives us a guide. Of course, it's not exhaustive. There are plenty of other things that we can be praying for. But for example, she talks about praying for comfort for the brokenhearted and the elimination of COVID and a recovered economy and wisdom for civic leaders and endurance for pastors. So as we're gathering with our families or not gathering with our families, as we are getting ourselves into an Advent mindset, we need the Lord's help. And let's just remind one another to continually ask the Lord to to con- to work in the midst of this pandemic and these hard situations to show His glory and to provide for us. 
So a little bit of movie magic here. I went to um, to take a look at this article because I didn't remember seeing it. And I was going to try to like make sure I could engage with Lindsay on, oh, yeah, Brooks had this awesome thing. But Lindsay has done that thing where she's gone into the future and is talking about an article that is, as of yet, not yet published. So I'm sure Brooke wrote a great article. I look forward to reading it when it when it comes out. Uh, but we'll, for now, we'll just have to take Lindsay's word for it. You know, I like having the power where I know what's coming out and y'all don't. So... Sometimes I have to throw a few things in there to where you can't you can't actually comment on it because you don't quite know. Not really, but yes. So we are for prayer here at the ERLC. And so you you will want to check these things out. By the time this episode airs, all these articles will be live. Again, we have a, a host of other things on our site as you are scrolling and browsing during the holiday season, during the Thanksgiving Day Parade, or while you're watching football or whatever it is. And and as always, just on this special Thanksgiving episode, we are thankful for you and thankful for uh, the ability to be able to serve you through uh, what's happening on ERLC.com. Hey, thanks, Lindsay. For that rundown, and Brent, that takes us to the culture section. So tell us what's going on on this Thanksgiving week. All right, thanks for that, Josh. Uh, no, no look at what is happening in culture would start off uh, right if it didn't start with what we are thankful for on Thanksgiving week. So let's start off with some of those things, right? I feel like that's a that's a good good thing for us to to banter about here for a few moments. Yes. Do I have an agreement from the crowd? Just speaking here for all the banter. Okay, there we go. All right. So here are some things that I am thankful for while my son. (laughs) I was going to say, I'm thankful for your son making train noises behind you. (laughs) Well, I am thankful to be with family. uh, So I I am thankful for that. I'm also thankful for the fact that there are uh, at least three vaccines, perhaps more on the way. Uh, for Americans who are wrestling uh, with this pandemic and for folks across the globe uh, who who are doing the same. Uh, I'm thankful that we have clarity about the U.S. presidential election. That was something Josh had, I think, rightfully mentioned before the election that he was praying for. Uh, I'm thankful that the the stock market hit 30,000 points this week. That's really an unbelievable number, really an amazing accomplishment. We'll talk about that uh, here in a bit later. So so those are some things I'm thankful for. What are y'all thankful for, Lindsay and Josh? Well, I'm um, fortunate to be back in North Carolina, as Darius Rucker called it, the land of the pine. And uh, looking forward to spending a really wonderful Thanksgiving in a really modified format, uh, missing some family members and not gathering with the huge whole family gathering that we normally do. But still looking forward to spending time with my parents and my sister and uh, even getting to see my grandparents uh, while I'm here. This is going to be a really different, but still a very special Thanksgiving. And honestly, in the midst of all of this, I'm really grateful to still have the opportunity to to be with all of them. So that's that's one major thing that I'm thankful for. Uh, I'm thankful, as Josh said, too, to be able to be with some family members. I'm thankful for... uh, family members thus far being kept safe from COVID. I'm thankful for friends who have had family members who have recovered, even though they've come really close to the brink of death in the midst of COVID. Uh, I'm thankful for a little baby boy who has yet to have a name, who's going to be born in January, but maybe December, who knows. Uh, And I'm thankful for just continued extended time with my husband and daughter 
while we work at home and live out this pandemic, it, I I do think I will be able to look back on this as some some sweet, unique times, even though they can be exhausting as well. <laughs> I I also am am thankful for uh, similar things as y'all, but I'm I'm very thankful for the two of you. Josh, for for getting Aww. this this new version of the RLC podcast up and running way back, well pre pandemic, uh, I'm thankful for Lindsay, uh, the the wonderful commentary you provide uh, each week. I'm really thankful for Gary Lancaster, who actually makes all this happen in terms of all the audio and I just I mean he actually makes us sound like we know what we're talking about. Uh, Megan Smith, who helps put together and coordinate uh, all of the the stuff uh, that it takes to kind of run the trains on time for this podcast. Marie Delph, who gets our show notes up online. I mean, there's so many great folks that uh, just make this little part of the RLC go. I'm I'm just so thankful for the entire team. Gosh, Brent, all the feels. All the our, feels. Uh, yeah, all the feels. Also, our, our spouses and parents who help watch our little ones so we can record a podcast. Oh, yeah. I mean, McCafferty has silently uh, been in the car with me as we've been trying to record the podcast. Remember the rain episode? It's been a fun ride for almost a year now. We, it was right after Thanksgiving last year that we started planning this thing and launched it shortly into uh, after the first of the year. So, yeah, Brent, thanks for bringing all that up. It is It is special and grateful for all of the people who work so hard to make this podcast a thing. All right. Well, let's get to some uh, real news and culture this week. Okay, so on the COVID front, as families gather in person or online, COVID cases are soaring. For the first time since the coronavirus outbreak hit the United States, the country has added more than 1 million cases in each of the past two consecutive weeks. That is a mind-blowing number. Uh, COVID deaths, which lag uh, reported cases by weeks, are also at a level not seen since this past spring. In the past week, the United States added on average uh, about 173,000 new daily cases. If this growth pattern holds, the number of cases reported for the full month of November is likely to hit 4.5 million. That would be more than double the number of any previous month. This is all reported by the the New York Times. That's just it's amazing to just step back and and see where we are as we are heading into Thanksgiving. Uh, but there was one interesting news uh, item that I saw on the coronavirus front. Around the world, canines are being trained to detect the whiff of COVID-19 infections. Dog trainers are claiming extraordinary results. In some cases, they say that dogs can detect the virus with almost perfect accuracy. Scientists involved with the effort suggest that canines could help to control the pandemic because they can screen hundreds of people an hour in busy places such as airports or sports stadiums and are cheaper to run than conventional testing methods. This was all a part of a report in Nature and y'all, I just think it's going to be the perfect ending to 2020 that dogs are part of the solution for saving mankind. Yeah, I just think it's great that we've been a pro, you know, consistently pro dog podcast uh, this whole time. And this is pretty, I mean, it's pretty insane. You know, you think about the fact that dogs, they use them to uh, uh, sniff out 
drugs, but in this case, talking about sniffing out a virus that is, it's pretty surreal. Now, what would be consistent with 2020 is if it was cats who were going to save mankind. That would right, be but, consistent with the end of 2020. But didn't but, we learn in the early days that, that cats are actually responsible for helping to spread the virus? Well, see, I that, guess they can get it. I don't know. But see, these the, are the thing diametrically COVID, opposed. I mean, this is this is really good narrative but stuff I, here. But a dog Dogs did get are part COVID. of the solution. Cats are evil. No, we did talk about dogs getting it as well at one point, I think. It was one dog. I I I, I question I question the findings. Uh, I want to recap. Oh man, but you know, one thing I am curious about, maybe we'll have to provide the answer at a later date is now that this pandemic has continued, we're having this third wave. A lot of people that um I know who don't think it's a big deal still compare it to the flu. And still kind of say it's the same as the flu. The numbers are the same. So I'd really like to know at this point in the pandemic how that compares to the flu. So can you get your culture content guru on that for maybe next week, Brent? I mean, let me pause real quick and see if we can answer that. Are you going to do real time? Real time answer, huh? <laughs> well, I mean, you kind of you left us there with really – Maybe well, I important. said we could address it next week. All right. Well, let's just let's just see right here. Honestly, it's been this kind of misconception uh, that's been with us since the beginning of this public health crisis. So, just you know, kind of quickly doing some research about it, I, I found a, a news source out of Utah that was talking about uh, the number of national cases for both. So, nationwide, flu and pneumonia killed f- over fifty nine thousand people in 2018, which was the the last year, uh, I guess, of records available. The national death rate from COVID-19 right now is four times that number. In fact, the 257,000 deaths across the U.S. have now exceeded the combined total nationwide of flu deaths over the past six years. So needless to say, you can get flu and there's a really good chance you're not going to be hospitalized, and there's an even better chance it won't take your life. Uh, that That's not necessarily the, the case with COVID, particularly if you are in some of those really um, vulnerable populations, uh, such as elderly or immunocompromised. And so that's why we want to do everything we can to be responsible and wise uh, to, to not spread this virus inadvertently or, or otherwise. Does that help you, Lindsay Nicolay? That does, Brent Leatherwood. Thank you for uh, that helpful information. That's right. Well, look, there's there's actually, I mean, what you asked is is not uh, abnormal at all. There's a lot of disinformation out there. There's a lot of false information out there. And this week, CBS News is reporting that YouTube has suspended the One America News Network channel for repeated violations of the video platform's policy on sharing COVID-19 misinformation, YouTube confirmed on Tuesday. The channel has also been demonetized as a result of the suspension YouTube added. So basically what occurred here was uh, OANN has posted uh, several videos saying that there is a cure for the virus that YouTube has flagged as being false. And apparently they have refused to take it down. And so YouTube has said, 
your account will be suspended, which means they will not be able to upload new videos for a week. We're probably going to see more stuff like this as the pandemic moves on. That's definitely right, Brent. And honestly, it's surprising that we haven't seen more of this already. We do know that there is so much bad information that's floating around out there. And that's one of the reasons that you see, especially like social media sites, uh, for good or for ill, doing so much work to try to slap labels on things and to let people know if the information that they're looking at has been uh, has been verified or if it is generally agreed upon uh, by other sources. And so it is important, especially during this time, both uh, as we're coming out of this, you know, really contested election and as we are still in the midst of trying to combat a what you called a global health crisis. Good information is important. And so uh, I can understand uh, YouTube's decision here. And it also is, you know, for people who don't know, when it says that they've been demonetized like that, that's a huge blow to any uh, organization or creator on a platform like YouTube, because that means that they're not allowed to receive uh, or, or generate any revenues through running ads. And so this is something that will probably, it will be interesting to see how it plays out. Okay, now turning to the uh, transition in the White House and sticking with CBS News, they are reporting that now that the General Services Administration has determined President-elect Joe Biden may access the transition tools of the federal government, formal conversations between Mr. Biden's team and the Trump administration officials are already underway, the incoming president said on Tuesday. President-elect Biden said that there's been, quote, immediate outreach from national security officials, adding that he can now access the daily briefings and his team is working out a meeting with the White House's coronavirus task force on vaccine distribution. He went on to say, quote, and I must say the outreach has been sincere. So to catch uh, folks up, uh, in the middle of this week, after uh, a few states, in particular Michigan, certified their election results uh, from November's presidential election, the General Services Administration, uh, which is the agency within the federal government that uh, essentially um, it just kind of fires the the starting gun for the formal transition to begin, the head of that agency signed a letter signifying that the uh, transition could officially start. And what that really means is about six and a half million dollars immediately becomes accessible to uh, President-elect Biden's team in order to formally begin the process of coordination in terms of document transfer and things of that nature for each of the federal departments and agencies uh, around the country. So it, it's a it's a big development. It's a it's a reassuring development because that's one of the hallmarks of our republic is the peaceful transfer of power between administrations. And so this was this was a, a good week. I'm looking for words that aren't, that's exactly right, Brent, but that is exactly right, Brent. In this case, talking about the peaceful transfer of power, that is something that is so fundamental to American democracy. And we talk all the time about uh, the idea of a social compact, like the fact that we are all, uh, what makes our democracy and our republic work is the fact that we have all agreed that there are certain norms that we're going to abide by. And it's not just that these things are law or that this is uh, written down somewhere as a process to follow, but it's something that we all believe in. It's something that we all agree to. And so, you know, in our country, we have elections. Uh, We aim to make them free and fair. They have a result and a winner and the winner takes over. The art of seeing 
power transferred peacefully is something that is uh, fundamentally American. And it's really, really important that that tradition is preserved. Well, so as the transition is now formally underway, President-elect Joe Biden uh, has named his Secretary of State. So we talked about last week, I believe, uh, him bringing aboard a few advisors and in particular naming his his new chief of staff, Ron Klain. Uh, this week, he led out with uh, one of the highest profile members of the cabinet that you can, Secretary of State. President-elect Joe Biden will name as his Secretary of State his longtime advisor, Anthony Blinken, reports Axios, who has held diplomatic and national security jobs since the Clinton administration, a Biden advisor confirmed to the outlet on Sunday. So he did release Blinken, release Blinken's name as a Secretary of State, and he followed that up with other members of his national security team. He's naming longtime advisor Jake Sullivan to be national security advisor, Avril Haines to be his director of national intelligence. The Secretary of uh, the Homeland Security Department will be Alejandro Mayorkas. The U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations will be Linda Thomas-Greenfield. And the Special Presidential Envoy on Climate will be former Secretary of State John Kerry. So these are, you know, really interesting names. Some, I think, are um, familiar uh, to uh, listeners and political observers. A number of these folks are going to be new names, maybe particularly to our audience, um, not speaking to the the politics of any one of these uh, individuals, the political preferences of them. You can tell, though, the through line in these uh, for these selections is that uh, Biden is is putting together a seasoned team of uh, leaders for his different agencies and departments. Uh, that that is clearly something he is is going for. Um, so we should get additional announcements uh, in the coming days. I mentioned this earlier, uh, the the Dow Jones Industrial Average hitting 30,000 points. That's a mind-blowing number. CNBC is reporting uh, that for the first time, it went above this number amid positive vaccine news, hope for a strong economic recovery in 2021, and the easing of political uncertainty as the Trump administration approved the start of the presidential transition. So, that's why I was saying before, it, it really was a big development this week that the General Services Administration did formally begin the transition process. And um, the stock market rallied because of that. So this is this is good news for all of us. It is good news. And it's an answer to one of those prayers that Brooke Kramer, our colleague, mentioned in the article that I brought up previously. And we are very thankful for it. All right, turning our attention briefly to the international front. So this was actually a pretty bombshell, pretty big bombshell that, that came out. According to Axios, uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu traveled in secret this last Sunday to the city of Neom in Saudi Arabia's Red Sea coast for a meeting with the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, Israeli sources uh, told the outlet. This is honestly really amazing. I mean, it, it sounds like Israel and Saudi Arabia have have actually been talking behind the scenes, working together uh, for the stability of the region. And if some formal agreement uh, could come out of uh, of this, it, it would just be 
an amazing development in the Middle East. And uh, further down in the article that we'll link to, some of the speculation revolves around the two of these countries being united in their efforts to contain Iran, uh, which is a destabilizing force, (laughs) not just in the world with its sponsorship of of terrorism, but uh, particularly in the Middle East. You know, this is one of the legacies of the Trump administration that flies under the radar, the progress that has been made in terms of relationships with countries in the Middle East and achieving uh, historic peace deals and aiming to bring about, like you said, Brent, that kind of stability uh, to a region that, you know, for, for all of us, we, we grew up always uncertain about uh, the way, the state of things in the Middle East. And so to see even this meeting and the potential for this kind of progress is really encouraging and, and very heartening. All right. And next, heading over to the South Pacific. So the Solomon Islands are set to ban Facebook, according to a, a news outlet there. The government there has defended its decision to place a temporary ban on Facebook, a move it says is aimed at tackling cyberbullying and online defamation. Quote, cyberbullying on Facebook is widespread. People have been defamed by users who use fake names and people's reputations that have been built up over the years are destroyed in a matter of minutes, said the, the prime minister. I bring this up only because it, it feels like, you know, uh, a continual part of uh, the news that we watch and culture that we watch and the things that we discuss, even with our family, revolves around how much uh, social media seems to be a, uh, you know, kind of toxic thing in, in all of our lives. And I just thought this was interesting because here you've got a national government. Uh, that is thinking about actually banning Facebook in the country. I that seems um, a bit heavy-handed, <laughs> but I, I mean it's it's just interesting that this is showing up in in other cultures uh, as a kind of a destabilizing uh, element. So that that's why I, I brought it up. I, I'm not sure that something like that would fly here in America, but um, I don't know. What do y'all think about that? Honestly, as a person who is deeply committed to civil liberties, I think that it is unsettling to think about uh, a country banning something like Facebook, which is, you know, this platform where people can freely communicate and, you know, exchange ideas and, and relate to one another. But at the same time, I think it was about two years ago. I wish I could remember uh, where I read it, but there was a long form article that was talking about the power of Facebook, the way that it's able to be, especially by bad faith actors, to be manipulated to not not just in terms of the sniping and dissension that goes on, but literally to manipulate people in uh, by floating conspiracy theories, by trying to uh, rally extremists or, or create radicalism that, that has actually resulted in, in, you know, hundreds of people in different parts of the world losing their lives. So it's not surprising to me that there, that there are countries considering something like this because, uh, it, it is a, it is a real complexity, uh, to try to balance a civil liberty, uh, like freedom of expression and the opportunity to, uh, just, just network and, and use whatever platform that you would choose. And at the same time, trying to, protect the uh, integrity, stability, and safety of, of your country. That, that absolutely uh, makes sense to me. Yeah, this is definitely something that is, is going to sound odd to American ears that a government would continue this. I would say that uh, 
this is something that our colleague Jason Thacker in particular has been has been working on. He's doing a lot of research in this area um, about what are helpful steps uh, that these digital platforms can take to continue being places where where free speech is uh, respected and and it is it, it is actually encouraged, but at the same time cut down on uh, these troubling number of fake actors uh, or folks who are utilizing the p- platforms to do, well, dangerous things. I, I also think it's important for me, like I need to probably in my household ban Facebook every once in a while. So Jason, who you mentioned, Brent, talks a lot about just taking personal responsibility as well, that these changes start with us as individuals. So taking stock of how we're using these platforms uh, what kind of trust we're putting in them. He tells us to read news, you know, not get them from the social media networks, but get it from other sources. Uh, and he has tried to cut down on that himself. So I think we also, we we need personal responsibility, you know, not just the government telling us, don't do this, don't do that. But we need to take personal inventory and find out what kind of damaging habits we have going on in our lives. Right. And th- this conversation, it reminds me of the old av- adage, the uh, the best way to combat bad speech is more speech. Uh, and, and so that's 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 probably something uh, that that folks at Facebook and it says in this article that they're reaching out to the government in the Solomon Islands uh, to figure out a way forward here. So it'll be interesting uh, to watch if this is something that is actually followed through with. All right, moving over to SBC Life, Baptist Press reported this week that our own Dr. Moore received a prestigious Religious Freedom Award. As a matter of fact, the Religious Freedom Institute presented Russell Moore uh, with the 2020 Defender of Religious Freedom Award during a virtual ceremony that occurred Last Saturday, the Religious Freedom Institute announced he was the recipient of this year's award back in September. And Josh, who presented Dr. Moore with the award? Hey, Brent, thanks for that setup. So Dr. Moore was presented the award by Dr. Robert George, who is a professor at Princeton University. He is one of my personal heroes. And when it comes to religious liberty uh, and what it means to be a Christian who takes seriously the implications of our faith for our life in the world. Uh, Dr. George and Dr. Moore are two of the most inspirational and, and, and leading thinkers on these on this subject. And so uh, it was a big deal. Uh, you can actually watch uh, the presentation of the award online. We'll link to it in the show notes. But it's noteworthy. We had Dr. Moore on the podcast last week, and we all work with him and know him personally. But the, the work that he has done, that God has used him throughout his life to do to advance the cause of religious freedom and to stand up for uh, for rights of conscience for all people is is truly remarkable. I think this is a, an award that was well-deserved, and I was really excited to see him recognized in this way. Yeah, we love the folks at RFI. They do great work, and uh, it, it, was, it was a great honor uh, I know that Dr. Moore said that uh, to accept that award. So uh, we're obviously really proud of him, and we're proud to support the work he does by living out the mission uh, of the ERLC. All right, moving on to some miscellaneous items. College basketball is back. Uh, so some of the first few NCAA games were played this week. We're really thankful uh, for that as college football, a number <laughs> number of games are now being canceled and covid 
uh, actually came with quite a bit of drama. Actually, yes, not just canceled, but incredible intrigue going on. There. That that's right. And uh, but uh, but not all college basketball teams uh, fared as well as others. My own beloved Tennessee Volunteers basketball team, basically the entire program had to stop both the men's and women's basketball teams because of a COVID outbreak there. As a matter of fact, the head coach of the University of Tennessee men's basketball team, Rick Barnes, he tested positive for COVID-19 this week. So they're not actually going to be able to play their first game until December 12th. Oh, no. Uh, So hopefully uh, college basketball can uh, avoid uh, a disastrous uh, start, but... um, uh, I well, I hope your Vols fare better in basketball than they did in uh, football. Yeah, well, they basically stopped playing football uh, <laughs> at this point, Lindsay. So thank you for re- <laughs> reminding me of that. Hey, speaking of football, uh, just before we went on the air here, we found out the news that Alabama football coach Nick Saban has tested positive for COVID-19. And this time it appears to be legit as uh, unfortunately he he is exhibiting uh, mild symptoms. So uh, well wishes. I was going to say... <laughs> I don't want to be crass or insensitive, but it's for real this time. Yeah, it it is for real this time. It's what it seems like. That probably is beneficial uh, for the Auburn Tigers, uh, who Alabama is playing this week in the annual Iron Bowl. Uh, but uh, yeah, we do hope that Coach Saban gets well. And uh, so, yeah. All right. Uh, last note. So, Lindsay, when you think of North Carolina and uh, the food that North Carolina is is known for. Uh, what comes to your mind? Maybe uh, vinegar barbecue sauce. Is that right? Okay. All right. Barbecue. And then if you think about like Thanksgiving in North Carolina, what what would be a side dish that you would think of? Well, would be yeah. I never think about Thanksgiving in North Carolina, but since I'm being asked to think about it, I would guess something like mac and cheese. Macro, that, that's probably a good. One. I would think sweet potatoes, right? I mean, that's sweet potatoes. Th- I would that would be export. my number one choice. Well, according to Google research that uh, came out in an article this week, apparently the number one searched side item for Thanksgiving this year is rice. Rice, Josh, what is wrong with your people? Look, man. I follow the uh, Google Trends account on Twitter. I think that a lot of the stuff they put out is is helpful. And maybe for the first time on this podcast, I'm going to say, I think this is fake news, Brent. <laughs> I got to tell you, I've spent a lot of uh, Thanksgivings in North Carolina. And, you know, rice is, is a staple of those meals, but it is by far, it is far from the highlight of those meals. So you mentioned sweet potatoes. Uh, we also eat chicken pastry. We do uh, eat vinegar-based barbecue, which is like, just the Lord's work. And so, you know, it's a thing. Thanksgiving in North Carolina is great, but this, this whole, uh, rice thing, I, I think it is, I think it is a charade. What is chicken pastry? See, chicken pastry is a, is a delicacy. Uh, it's kind of like dumplings, except it's better than that. So if you've never had it, um, maybe next year for Thanksgiving, you guys could skip your plans and just come to North Carolina. We'll host you and do it upright. Have some chicken pastry. Well, I saw on the Today Show they did this bracket challenge, Thanksgiving sides bracket challenge. Uh, they did it for Halloween candy. I think maybe Snickers or uh, Reese's peanut butter cups one. But for this, out of all of the side dishes, stuffing one. 
And listen, I like the stuffing that my family has, but stuffing would not be my first choice in a bracket challenge. Also, okay, the, what, the stuffing versus dressing argument is, right. is the real thing. Well, it's dressing we need to get to, first here. of all. It's and not dressing. You, yeah. it's, it's and dressing. if it's cornbread, it's nasty. <laughs> well, so anyways, Meredith asked me, she's like, hey, so what all do you want us to, to kind of prepare for, for Thanksgiving? The very first thing I led with was dressing. So I think, I, I just think subconsciously, that's where I go to. Uh, but then I also said stuff about sweet potatoes, which incidentally, according to the same Google Trends account, sweet potato casserole is the number one uh, search side, side item for, for Tennessee, which that, that totally, that's, that's on brand. Uh, for us Tennesseans, down way down in Florida, Lindsay, your homeland, they put cornbread. So well, we will have cornbread. What's but going we will, on there? Yeah, we will not have cornbread dressing because that is gross. But we will have well, apparently cornbread. in South Carolina, Alabama, Mississippi, uh, Louisiana, and Texas, uh, the number one searched side item was in fact cornbread dressing. So maybe you need to steer clear of those states for your Thanksgiving. But uh, needless to say, or, I'm pretty or proud. Or maybe I will just, maybe I'll just be the change I want to be, Brent. I well, want to see. Be the change, be the change I want to see. see That's what it is. You are the people you've been waiting for. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> well, I just got to say, I'm really proud of my fellow Tennesseans uh, for what they are searching for this Thanksgiving. Lindsay, I think your people, they, they did a fine job down in Florida uh, with their cornbread. Please don't put any sugar on the cornbread. That's that's actually not cornbread. Honey goes on the cornbread. Yes, I'm talking about the actual uh, preparation uh, of the cornbread. Uh, but Josh, Josh, your people, rice, mercy, son. I, I'm just really disappointed uh, with the it's, folks it's in the old It's embarrassing, state. and it, it feels, you know— it's pretty devastating, but I will say, just to North Carolina's credit, a few weeks ago there was another one of those maps floating around of everyone's fast food restaurant, our favorite fast food restaurant in every state, and Tennessee maybe had the worst option on the menu, which was Long John Silver's. Oh, that in North is Carolina, oh. in North Carolina, we, we oh. proudly repped uh, Bojangles, and if you've ever had Bojangles chicken, you need to check it out. It is the true and better Popeyes. Well, listen, uh, Tennesseans, we just we're known for our seafood. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> Long John Silvers. Uh, all right. Well, listen, I hope everyone has a happy Thanksgiving. That is your look at This Week in Culture. This episode of the ERLC podcast was sponsored by The Good Book Company, publisher of A Better Than Anything Christmas by Barbara Rioch. These daily Advent devotionals will help families get more excited about Jesus at Christmas than anything else. Find out more about this book at thegoodbook.com. So now we're about to talk to Amy Ford. Amy is the president of Embrace Grace, which is a nonprofit that was formed for the purpose of providing curriculum and leadership to support churches nationwide to open their arms to young women with unplanned pregnancy. She's also the author of Help Her Be Brave, which is her newest book uh, that is about the em empowering Christians to be involved in the pro-life movement. And I got to tell you, uh, Amy is just an incredible person with some really remarkable stories, and we are really looking forward to this conversation. Well, Amy, thanks so much for joining us. We're excited to have you on the podcast today. As we're getting started, would you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you're serving in ministry right now? And as you're answering that, would you tell us one thing that God is teaching you in this season of life and ministry? Yeah, well, um, my name's Amy Ford, and I have a ministry called Embrace Grace. 
and we help women with unexpected pregnancies get connected to churches. So we have support groups in churches all over the nation for these women with unplanned pregnancies, and we want the church to be a safe place for them to go to, a refuge. A lot of times when a girl's pregnant, it's the last place she wants to go to, Um, and so we want to change that. And so we um, have these 12-week classes that are in, um, we're in over 700 churches, 47 states, and 10 countries that have Embrace Grace support groups. And um, it's been fun to do. And what God's teaching me right now, you know, as we're recording this, it's definitely still a COVID experience. And it's been definitely hard to have uh, support groups for these moms when having to do things, um, trying to stay safe and, and everything. So it's hard for these moms to be vulnerable through Zoom sessions and things like that. But God's just been showing us so many creative ways of how to love on the moms and that they're really, crisis brings clarity. And, um, and for our organization, it's been neat to see all of the changes and in, 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 that we've made that we never would have done unless something like this would have happened. So um, even though it's kind of a mess, there's been miracles in the mess. And so it's been awesome. I love that phrase, crisis brings clarity. It's so true and and brings innovation. And your ministry sounds just incredible, so needed, and we're so very thankful for it and that the Lord has raised you up to start this ministry and to see it blossom like this. So this podcast focuses on cultural issues. Is there anything in particular that you're paying attention to right now? Yeah, for sure. You know, with um, Amy Comey Barrett um, just um, on to the Supreme Court, you know, we don't know what the future holds, but if there ever could be a time where a possibility that Roe v. Wade was overturned and abortion became illegal, um, we really want to make sure that the church is ready for that. Like, what does it look like? if abortion became illegal and women didn't have access to an abortion and now they're having to carry their baby to term and not having resources that they need, or um, I just would hope that the church would fully be able to help practically, spiritually, and emotionally um, when she's in that situation. We can't just vote a certain way and then say, good luck, hope it works out for you. Like we have to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this situation, whether it gets overturned or not, we need to make abortion unthinkable. And the church can do that because we have all the resources. There's over 300,000 churches in America. And if we all were, um, you know, had Embrace Grace support groups or um, do partnering with our pregnancy centers and really making a difference in our community, we can help reduce um, the amount of abortions out there because we have so much resources and love to give um, through his people. Amy, that's so good and such a vital task to call the church to prepare uh, for a time when abortion uh, would be illegal because of the potential of having Roe versus Wade overturned. Uh, you are personally very vulnerable in sharing your own story about an unplanned pregnancy and the hardship that that, that can come along with that and the decision to choose life. Uh, is there something that you would say that you wish Christians had done to help you when you were in your own time of need? Yeah, for sure. I think that um, I ended up getting married. I had an unplanned pregnancy, ended up getting married um, when I was 16 weeks pregnant and the pastor wouldn't marry us. He said that we had sinned and he couldn't bless the marriage. And we just felt so much shame even on our wedding day. And and then we tried going back to church and it was like the elephant in the room. People don't know whether to say congratulations or I'm sorry. And so they just don't say anything at all. And then you feel alone in a crowd of people. And I wish that I had felt like I had someone to talk to 
or that the church would even just talk to me about what was what I was going through and I didn't feel comfortable to go to them especially with the pastor not marrying us but one thing that's really cool is that a couple years later that pastor that wouldn't marry us he called my husband out of the blue and he asked for forgiveness he said that he felt like it was his worst mistake in pastoring history and will you please forgive me and of course, my husband was like, yes, and they're really good friends to this day. And um, and even, so I had a son and he's amazing. He's 22 now and he just graduated from Oral Roberts University and majored in theology and has a heart for the Lord. And um, when he was 16, that pastor that wouldn't marry us asked us to come speak at his church and about pro-love and everything that we do. And so I did. And then afterwards he asked um, my, me and my son to go on the platform in front of everyone. And he said, Amy, years ago, I asked your husband for forgiveness, but I never really asked you, will you forgive me for what I did 16 years before? And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, I forgave you a long time ago. Well, then he looked at my son 16 in front of the whole church. And he said, um, son, Jess, I am so sorry for planting seeds of rejection in your heart before you were ever even born. And while you were in your mother's womb, I rejected you. Will you forgive me? And my son, 16, in front of the whole church says, I forgive you. And it was such a powerful moment in that room. And I think that if if we can have more churches like that, just being, you know, we're all, we all make mistakes, but we can together make a difference. We can help uh, each other up when we fall. We don't kick each other when we're down. Um, and, and to know and empower a single mom to say, we can help you be brave, that we're in this with you. And we're going to walk alongside you, not only through your pregnancy, but through your whole life, if you're allowed, if you'll allow it, because we're a spiritual family. So let's do life together. That's an amazing story and such an encouragement. And, um, and that pastor, even in telling in you sharing that brief story, I know that that will give courage to some people who have messed up and need to ask forgiveness as well. Like in the Bible, like it says, neglecting the weightier matters of the law. You know, I think of Job's friends who we as Christians, we try to get it so right. Theologically, we end up building hedges around things, and then we don't love people well and serve them and bring them to the feet of Jesus. So I'm so thankful for that, Pastor, and for your family and for that incredible testimony. Your newest book, Help Her Be Brave, is a resource that will help equip and empower the church to engage in this pro-life movement, as you've talked about, through practical pro-love action. So if somebody asked you today how they could get involved what kind of tips would you give them? Well, you know, we always say pro-life is a stance and pro-love is an action. And so action is where the change happens and where transformation happens because it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And so it's love that changes people. So, I mean, I would say, first of all, grab the book because Help Her Be Brave is full of ideas of how you can get involved in the movement. I remember when I was in my 30s, I didn't even know there was a pro-life movement. I thought it was people that stand outside abortion clinics and yell. Like I didn't know, and not the good kind, you know, and I didn't know that there was like a movement. And once I got involved, there's so many resources that are out there, so many cool organizations, boots on the ground that are really making a difference. And I would just ask you like, what 
makes you pound your fist on the table and say, someone needs to do something about this and that, and just follow your heart in that way. Like there's, God has, has stirred your heart to action in that, or maybe it's connected to your story or something you've been through. Maybe you've experienced an abortion in your past and you want to be the person that you wish you had years ago in your life when you made your abortion decision. Or maybe um, it is, uh, you know, maybe someone you know had an unexpected pregnancy and, and that you wish that you want to walk alongside her and be like a mentor or um, help her maybe practically with things like if she needs a GED or if she needs um, help with childcare or just whatever it may be. I wish that there was a A plus B equals C and that means a baby is saved. You know, I wish there was like a cookie cutter way to help save a baby and empower a mom, but it's very Holy Spirit led. It's very unique to every situation. And so it involves relationship and getting involved. And I hear so many churches say, oh, we don't have pregnant people in our church, but most likely you do because the abortion rate is exactly the same inside the church it is outside. But also just look at it as an outreach, like go partner with your pregnancy centers and tell them you want the, their clients to feel welcome to come to your church. And starting Embrace Grace Group is a great way to start too, uh, the support group so that they know and they have a place to come to. But there's so many ways to um, get involved. And, and if you want ideas, definitely grab the book, Help Her Be Brave. Amy, I've got to tell you, we uh, we interview people every week for this podcast, and the things that you've shared already have just absolutely uh, blown me away. And it makes me, uh, as someone who's like spent time working in various aspects of the pro-life movement and and spent a lot of time just in local like pregnancy centers, I am so. I mean, I'm even more encouraged. I bet a lot of our listeners are going to be too. Uh, they they know, you know, that pro-life work is hard, but it's incredibly rewarding. Uh, could you share just some of the ways that you've seen God work through the pro-life movement and as you describe it as being pro-love? Yeah, for sure. I mean, oh my gosh, there's so many stories. Um, one of my favorites is there was one time I went to Sonic and, um, you know, at Sonic, you can, uh, you can't tip unless you have a cash. Like if you, if you use your credit card, they don't give you a tip line. So we've had Embrace Grace Girls work at Sonic and they've complained about no tipping. So I thought I had cash and I go, I had all my kids in the car and I go and order some slushies for everyone. And then I realize I don't have any cash. So I paid with a credit card and when the girl came out to the car, I said, I am so sorry. I don't have any cash for a tip, but I'll run to the bank and I'll an ATM machine and I'll come back and bring you some. And she was like, no, you don't have to do that. But if you want to, you can. And I giggled. I was like, yes, I will go get you some. So I go to the bank and come back. And when she came back, I was like, hey, what's your name? And she said, my name's Zoe. And I said, oh my goodness, I love that name. I My littlest baby is one and his name is Judah. But whenever I was, before I knew he was a boy, I'd pick Zoe as my girl name. Did you know that your name means life? But like the heavenly realm of life, like the John 10.10 life, um, it's like such a cool name. I said, did you know that? And she's like, no, but so you have a baby. And I was like, yeah, I mean, he's kind of a bigger baby, but yeah. And she said, well, I just found out I'm pregnant and I'm really nervous. And me and my boyfriend don't know what to do. Do you have any advice for me? And I was like, God, you are so cool. It was like the perfect setup. And so um, I ended up, we got her connected to a pregnancy center. I got, she got connected to an Embrace Grace group. Um, she ended up having a little boy. I, I was at her wedding. I was at her birth. 
I, um, her husband, she ended up getting married and her husband is just in our new Embrace Legacy men's curriculum because he has fallen in love with the Lord. I get to do life with this girl that's so amazing. And, you know, God is bringing us people all the time. Like everywhere we go is our mission field. And sometimes we get too much in a hurry to even notice, you know, the people standing right in front of us that is, are praying and asking God for help. And a lot of times we are the answer to their prayers, but we have to stop for the one and just start a conversation. And you never know. I've met pregnant girls at hotels. Um, I was at, stayed at a hotel a couple weeks ago because my family, some of the, my family members had COVID. And so um, my key wouldn't work randomly one day. So I go to the front desk and the front desk girl is pregnant. Started a conversation with her. She's 19, nervous about what's going to happen. We got her connected to an Embrace Grace group. Like there are women every we just have to notice and ask God to put our Holy Spirit goggles on and see the these people the way he sees them and help getting a, get them to all the amazing resources that are out there. Amy, wow, is really all I can say. This is one of the most compelling interviews that we've done on our podcast because it is so evident that God is blessing your work because it's work that is so near and dear to him. Um, the vulnerable children and mothers and fathers and families. And um, it's just so encouraging to hear your stories of how the Lord is at work and how we can join Him there. So I do pray that God would continue to bless your ministry all around the world and that um, the Lord would use this conversation in your book to um, bring many into the fold of His kingdom and into the fold of ministries like Embrace Grace and Pregnancy Resource Centers. So thank you so much for allowing the Lord to use your story to testify how he brings, as you said, miracles out of messes. Yes, thank you guys so much. So now it's time for the lunchroom, where every week we tell you about the things that we've been talking about with one another. And since it's Thanksgiving, we're going to try to make it good. Lindsay, you're up first. Tell us what's on your mind. So the first thing that I'm sharing today, I'm kind of breaking the number one rule of sharing something uh, like a book being as I have not uh, engaged with it or read it, but I know it's going to be good because number one, it was recommended by somebody trusted. Number two, it was written by George Guthrie, who's a Bible teacher. Number three, it's a chronological Bible. So if you're like me, if you don't have a structure or a plan, now I'm not talking about like structure with your multiple different colored pencils and highlighters and things like that. If that's the way that you work, that is great, but that's not the way I work. Uh, but I sometimes need structure. I, I oftentimes use the YouVersion app, Bible app, uh, that will give you a plan that you can follow in reading your Bible. It's on my phone, obviously, so I'm not writing things down. So this day-to-day -day chronological Bible that I saw a friend share has some readings by George Guthrie that goes along with what you are reading for the day, uh, has some devotions that are a part of it, some explanation. It's just in a pretty layout. Uh, you can have your pen right there with you and mark and highlight. So I'm really thinking about asking for this for Christmas so that in the new year, I can have a little bit of help and accountability in um, going through a Bible plan. The other thing is going to go in the same vein as last week when I was, said I was going to try to do some life hacks with Lindsay. I was trying to figure out what to what to share. And what I'm sharing 
maybe sounds girly, Josh and Brent, you might be bored, but they're called e-cloths. So have y'all ever heard of Norwex? Have your wives gone to Norwex parties? Uh, I don't want to cop to this, but yes. No. No. Okay. Well, you know, it's it's like a more... Norwex. There are these like antibacterial or microbial or something rags. So you use, you don't have to use as many cleaning products. You don't have to use as, as much, as many paper towels. No, we just use the, we use, we use core rocks. (laughs) Yeah, well, this is Norwex. Okay. And so, so these e-cloths are much cheaper than Norwex, apparently work in the same way. Wait, 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 wait. E-cloths, like yes, they're called electronic, E-cloths. like email. Nope, environmental. Uh yeah. They, I actually have really enjoyed them. I'm not anti-paper towel because I love paper towels. I'm not anti-cleaning products, but I have really enjoyed using these. They're much cheaper than Norwex. You don't have to talk to anybody that sells Norwex, even though if you do sell it, that's great. I just don't always do well. Uh, with the sales part of it. And they work much better than paper towels, actually. So you can use them on your kids' hands and face. You can use them on the countertop. I've used them on the kitchen countertops, and we haven't gotten salmonella poisoning yet or E. coli or anything like that. So that has been pretty effective. But I'm just saying, you should you should buy some, try them out. You just use water, and then you wash them in the washing machine on hot. And uh, so people get together and, and have parties? Uh, yes, for for Norwex, not for Ecloss, just for Norwex. Is Norwex the brand? Norwex is the brand of the cleaning cloths and the cleaning system. The Ecloss, which many people enjoy. It's just I don't have the Norwex kind of a budget, so I'm going with the cheaper chicken. In the words of George Banks. Okay, and are people still doing this in the midst of a pandemic, getting together to change cloths? <laughs> I don't. I don't think so, but I don't okay. know. Well, that's a very interesting lunchroom resource. Uh, you had that, more questions than I thought you would, Brent. I got to tell you, if if we were all back in the normal times when we did gather around our lunchroom, that probably would have been the thing that would have cleared out the room. I feel like everybody said, you know what? I got some emails to go do. I've got <laughs> well, it clear. Josh is clearly not nails to go clip. No, uh, it would anything. not have. It would not have. The girls would have been intrigued. The guys, and I know that's a generalized, but it just is what it is, probably would have checked out. I feel like you just told us about the sham wow. I mean, I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm just trying to help your budgets. If your wives buy Norwex, switch to e and you'll be able to go out to a nice dinner because you'll have some extra oh, leftover okay. money. All right. So I wasn't. Fu- so you're telling me. Norwax is not the company that produces no, the e-cloths. Norwax. No, Norwax. It's not Norwax. You sound like my mom who go, who calls Starbucks <laughs> instead of Starbucks and Kroger's instead of Kroger. No, I was Kroger's. literally thinking it was N O R W A X. I thought no, that's how Norwex, you Norwex N O R W E X. They are the rivals. I was off of by E-cloth. one letter. I was one off by one letter, and you're accusing me of talking from somebody like from South Boston. This lunchroom is going on forever. The the Facebook over here. All right, (laughs) who's next? So, Brent, before the before the lunchroom gets cleared out, tell us what tell us what's on your mind. All right, so my lunchroom is this new documentary uh, that's come out from CBS News, and it's about the disturbing appeal of the QAnon conspiracy theory. So it it goes into detail about kind of the background of the conspiracy theory, you know. 
which essentially it, it's false. Uh, but I thought there was one little kind of nugget in there from a professor who specializes in the study of conspiracy theories. And he said, quote, a conspiracy theory is implicitly trying to address grievance, suffering, and pain that people are feeling, and they feel that they are being neglected by the mainstream. I think anytime you have a popular conspiracy theory, the question you should be asking is, what is going on in our country that makes anything like this appealing? What is wrong? And I thought that was good. I mean, for us as Christians who are supposed to care uh, for our neighbors, I really thought that this was a good question that we should be asking ourselves. Why is something like this? You know, why do I have... Uh, family members who seem to be kind of taken by this? Why do I have uh, folks that I know uh, who seem to really be like adherents to this and are spreading it? And at the end of this piece about the documentary, it it actually leads you with what I thought was a helpful place. Like if you want to help someone who might be, you know, under the, the, you know, kind of influence of, of this conspiracy theory or others, don't, be combative with them. Instead, be really empathetic and just try and understand where they're coming from and then kind of ease them out that way. I thought that was really helpful because a lot of times you get these sorts of reports and it doesn't leave you with like how to do anything, how to be constructive. It just leaves you kind of frustrated uh, that this is in our culture. And and so I, I would commend this to our audience, uh, particularly because some of us may be gathering uh, with family or friends uh, who who might be thinking that the the QAnon conspiracy theory is is something real. Now, I think that's really good, Brent. I mean, it is interesting. Like, look, there, there is evil in the world. We live in a fallen and in broken world, and so there's evil on small scale. There's evil on a large scale. But when it comes to things like conspiracy theories, uh, the the truth is that inevitably, you know, the vast majority of these uh, theories end up being false. And the thing that I tell people like that I'm close to who are taken in, uh, who tend to be taken in by these things is just to remind them that, Hey, if there is any truth to this situation or to this, the thing you're looking at, you're probably not going to be the one that finds it. So maybe don't, don't waste your time with it. Don't let it dominate your life as you are. Uh, you know, it's just, just live your life. And they're, just like this world has fallen and evil exists on a small scale and a large scale, it's also really hard for fallen people to keep secrets. And so, as as the Brits say, truth will out. It the truth comes out eventually. And so maybe just rest easy and and, and don't get taken in by conspiracies. But I will definitely try to check out that documentary. And for my own lunchroom this week, switching gears entirely away from uh, conspiracy theories and uh, pyramid schemes and other things. What's been on my mind lately has been the fact that I spent about a year working with one of our colleagues, uh, Jen Kentner, and I want to like really give all of the uh, praise to her for this, but we had an article published uh, recently. It was called Sameness and Distinction, Rethinking Assumptions About God's Design of Men and Women, and we've spent over a year in conversation about gender roles, about complications in terms of men and women relating to each other and thinking through what the Bible says and trying to apply what the Bible says about gender and sexuality to the home, the church, and the world. And so we wrote this article. It's what I've been thinking about a lot because it took us, you know, it, it took us a year to come up with these ideas and to get it published. And so we've put a link there in the show notes. But also, if you follow that link, you can read all of the articles in this latest edition of Icon Magazine, which is about, you know, biblical anthropology. It's about uh, God's design for humanity and what it means to be male and female. And there are a, a number of really great items in that journal uh, and particularly, but 
there is an article by Patrick Schreiner, who we've had on the podcast recently, that was really, really excellent. There's an interview with Robert George, and there's even an article uh, from Oliver O'Donovan, who is one of the premier Christian ethicists uh, living today. And so anyway, you can follow that link and get access to all of that stuff. It's all free, and it is certainly something that I would commend to you. I know that is a great article that I look forward to reading. You will not escape the lunchroom, though, without being chided for uh, sharing your own stuff. So uh, this must be Josh's version of a humble brag. He just he got by with doing it by highlighting Jen instead of himself. Yeah, uh, the audience may not quite have caught that right after he went through there just extolling uh, how great Jen is, which totally agree with that. She is great. He slid in there. We got got published. Uh, yeah. So yeah, this is this is your piece. You don't get credit. <laughs> you don't get credit for turning in your own work. <laughs> yeah. And this is exactly what would happen in the real lunchroom. Were we meeting in person? Man, it is. I feel like we're all back together again. As as Brent shared earlier, we're grateful for uh, each other and for the fact that we get to do this podcast together. But Lindsay, we're especially grateful for you because if if you weren't here. This conversation may bore anyone who dared to listen out of their mind. So thanks for <laughs> thanks for true. being there. Well, that's going to do it for our show today in this special Thanksgiving episode. We want to say, uh, as we're reflecting in the spirit of Thanksgiving, thank you so much uh, for listening to the show every week and for uh, sharing your feedback and thoughts with us. If you like the show and want to help us out, you can share this episode on social media or go in your podcast app and leave us a rating or a brief review. But for Brent and Lindsay and myself, we want to say happy Thanksgiving, and we look forward to being back next week with you with more content.